Welcome back to the Air It Out podcast. I am Lucas Shu, your host, per usual. Today, we do not have any guests on once again. It's just me talking about football. Uh, we're just going to get right into it. We're going to talk about two things here. PFF's Top 50 that just got released about a couple of days ago. I dove into that and uh, talked about players I kind of liked who I believe were uh, a little low, uh, who should have been on the list in general. And then guys who I think are a little too high on the list and uh, too favorable by PFF, if you will. Uh, we're just going to dive right into that one right away. Uh, on the other one we got is uh, the top players, top 10 players who are under 25. So guys who are below the age of 25 by the time that the regular season will supposedly start. Um, and top 10 guys ranked them. But we're going to get right into the PFF top 50. Uh, I'm going to give you three guys who I believe who are just snubbed by PFF or believe were low on the list. Actually, all of them were just didn't make the list, I believe. They did make the list. They missed them or they weren't very high on there. Uh, first one of you guys, Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I'm a Packers fan. Just see, I get the bias out of there. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. And at one point in his career, he was arguably the best QB in NFL history just based on a couple seasons of play because... His dominance was unlike anything we've ever seen. It was like Patrick Mahomes, but I think it was a slight step up from Patrick Mahomes. He had a can for an arm. He could uh, create on, off the run. He could create out of the pocket. He could win in the pocket. It didn't matter where he was playing on the field or what was happening in the field around him. He could just dominate. He was an extremely talented man. He's still extremely talented, but the thing that's happened around him as of late is his receiving core has really, really, really deteriorated. His main guys now, or his main guy for that matter, is now Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is extremely, extremely talented receiver, one of the more nuanced receivers. He actually made the PFF uh, list. He's in the top 40, I believe, on the list. But uh, now it's down from Devontae Adams. It's like Marquez Valdez Scantling, Equinania St. Brown will be back this year, uh, Alan Lazard. That's what he has now. But what he used to have was. Uh, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson. He had Jamaica Finley, a tight end, who was a solid tight end, like the only decent tight end in recent Packers memory. But he had weapons around him to survive with and to thrive with, for that matter. All really good tight ends, or tight ends, excuse me, weapons and receivers and tight ends. And he had a lot of this to work with. But now it's just deteriorated to not nothing, but to very, very little. Devonta Adams, obviously, is a top-tier receiver. But everybody else just... He's either young and isn't good yet, or is just not good overall. Now, Rodgers, I believe, is still a talented, talented QB, and I believe he could sneak, you could put him in the top 50 reasonably, but he does come with flaws. And this one, I'm balanced, I'm right in the middle. If I put him in there, he'd be like the bottom five, like 45 to 50 range. But I believe in. What you have in Rodgers is still a very talented QB. He can hit guys up the seams. He can hit guys over the middle. He just lost a little. I'm watching him this past year, and he has... There's still highlight plays where he's just zipping bullets in there, but there are more plays now where he'll roll out of the pocket, and the accuracy won't be there, and the speed won't be there. I'm not off the ball. The speed in his body, and his literal speed, and him running away, it's not there, and he's getting caught by guys. That just never happened when Rodgers was in his prime. And it's clear that he isn't his prime anymore and he's not as quick and it's not as fast and his body isn't all there. Something's happening to him, clearly. 
but I still believe he's a top 50 player just based on what I've seen from last year. This, I could see him obviously deteriorating again and regressing again and actually not being a top 50 player in the NFL, but as of now, I'd say Rodgers is one. Next up, we got Chris Harris Jr., former Denver Bronco, now LA Charger. Uh, I feel like throughout Chris Harris Jr.'s career, not just as of recent, but his whole career, he's been one of the more underrated or underappreciated players in the NFL for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is because he is a slot corner, or predominantly a slot corner. He played outside corner last year, the Broncos, but predominantly throughout his whole career, he's been a slot cornerback. And slot cornerbacks have not been the kindest to be looked upon amongst positions in the NFL. Obviously, you've got your not your more noticed ones in the NFL, like your outside corner or your QB or your running back, your receivers, offensive tackles, guys who are like, oh, I know his name or I know his name. Like, you know, Julio Jones, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Rogers, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, you know, all these guys who are just stalwarts and just great, 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 great players. And at corner, you got your signal guys. You know, Darrell Rivas, you know, Richard Sherman, you know, Stephon Gilmore right now these elite-level outside corners. But a position that does not get talked about enough is the slot corner. Because outside corners are more valuable, but slot corners are still, still maybe harder to play than outside corners just because of the speed that you need to have and the agility. Because guys are getting separation from you immediately, and you need to be not only strong, you need to be quick and smart and fast and agile because if you aren't, you're going to get burned immediately for however many yards, five yards, or it can beat you over the middle. And it just puts the cornerback in such a hard spot. But if you're able to do well at it, then it helps your team tremendously. I think another reason Chris Harris Jr. hasn't been talked about nearly enough is because he's a Denver Bronco. And Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos are just not a well-known, may not well-known team, but not your premier team you think of. You think of the Packers, you think of the Steelers, you think of the Giants. You think of the Patriots, you think of these well-known, established teams. And the Broncos right now haven't been that for a while. Obviously, they had Elway, and that team was, those teams were great. But when you think of classic NFL teams, you don't think of, oh, Denver Broncos. You think the Packers, because they're the smallest NFL franchise and smallest football franchise and smallest sports franchise in all of the United States. And you think of the Giants, because they're a big New York franchise. You think of the Jets, because of New York. You think of the Patriots, because of Tom Brady and and their dominance as of recent. You think of the Bears because of the big rivalry of the Packers. You think of all these things. You get the Cowboys because of how popular they are in Texas and the South. But you don't think of Denver Broncos. And I think that's also hurt Chris Harris Jr. because he's not getting notoriety. And when the Broncos did have notoriety with uh, that whole elite, 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 elite level defense with Von Miller and Peyton Manning was on the team. They had all these guys. Chris Harris Jr. wasn't talked about nearly enough. It was Peyton Manning, it was Von Miller, and it was all these dudes along that defense, but never Chris Harris Jr. He's an elite-level corner, and I know he's aged now, He's aging now, and I know he played outside corner last year, and I know he's leaving the Broncos for a new situation, but I think Chris Harris Jr. is one of the best corners in the NFL, and maybe he won't be this next year, and then I say I'll be wrong, but I believe Chris Harris Jr.'s talent is... So, 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 so good, yet so underrated slightly 
I feel like he's missing a spot here. I believe you can get him in the top 40 to 50 range if you looked at the list. Um, I list, at least even top 40 to 50 range. Next up is another Denver Bronco. Another guy who does not get appreciated enough. Another guy who NFL media overall does not talk about enough. And it's Justin Simmons. Justin Simmons is a safety for Denver Broncos. And quietly... Very quietly, I guess you could say, put up an incredible uh, career last year at safety. A career season last year at safety. He did literally what he did literally everything you want as like a safety position for them. He was great in coverage. He was great in zone coverage. He did quite, he did okay in man coverage. He what well, he just didn't make he didn't make mistakes, which is inherently what safety does safety to do. You want them to be your last line of defense. You want them to make sure tackles and all that but he wasn't just that safety he was an elite coverage player there'd be constant times where he'd lock up the seams in his own coverage scheme that uh mr vic fangio runs and he'd just lock over the top he'd just be an incredible safety for the broncos last year as it is but not get any respect because he's justin simmons he's not super flashy he's not uh, extremely explosive. He's not lighting guys up over the middle of the field. He's not a big market player. He's just Justin Simmons, and he does what's asked of him, and he makes incredible plays, but he doesn't do it like uh, Mika Fitzpatrick on uh, now Steelers. He doesn't do it like him, where he's just coming over the field and picking things off and being super aggressive. And Minka, Minka Fitzpatrick is considered, oh, he's the best safety in the NFL right now, or he's one of the best safeties in the NFL right now. I'm thinking to myself, I saw this on a list, uh, it's like a top 25 list on here. Minka Fitzpatrick isn't that good of a safety. He's a good, he's a good safety, but compared to everyone in the NFL, it's hard to put him in the top five for safeties. I'll get into that later on in the list. But, uh, yeah, uh, Justin Simmons, incredible safety. Not like Chris Harris Jr. where he just doesn't get recognition, but he's still a really, really quality safety. Now we're going to get into players who are ranked a little too high for me and before I say anybody I got three guys here before I say anything I know people who are listening to this or who may listen to this are gonna be like oh how can you say that he's so good or he had a great year last year yada 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 but with this I'm splitting hairs here I have to split hairs when I'm talking about these guys because top 50 this goes for the other list too with the Rodgers Chris Harris Jr. and Justin Simmons I have to split hairs if I don't we're not going to get anywhere because it's just, when you look at top 50 players and your top 60 for that matter, because these guys, look at that guys who are, I think are too high, too low. You're going to have to split the hair because everybody here is so, 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 so good. And you don't have a lot of flaws because they're a top 50 player. In order to be a top 50 player, you have to be an elite level player with very little flaws and a lot of strengths. And that's what these guys, these guys have here. But, uh, a couple of guys I'm going to get into. Nick Bosa immediately. I believe he's number 42 on PFF's uh, top 50 list. Nick Bosa, obviously, was a rookie last year, and he probably had one of the best rookie seasons, at least on defense, that uh, you can remember. I mean, Joey had an incredible one. Miles Garrett had an incredible one. But he he crushed it last year. He blew my expectations out of the water. I loved Nick Bosa last, last year coming out of the draft. That's his past draft year before that. I loved him. I thought he was an incredible, incredible, incredible player. I thought he was a great Ed rushing presence. And he even <laughs> exceeded my expectations. He constantly got pressure on guys, constantly sacked guys. And it wasn't just cleanup sacks where 
uh, DeForest Buckner or somebody on the defensive line or D Ford uh, pressured him from the other side, and uh, in comes Nick Bosa gets a sack because all sacks are created equal when they're not. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like so, it wasn't a cleanup sack. It wasn't the fact of where the QB just pounding the rock in the pocket like a Russell Wilson would do, and he's just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, and just opening up, and he just didn't throw it away or run with it. It wasn't like that kind of sack. It was he beats the offensive tackle cleanly and quickly and is able to put pressure on the QB or sack the QB. It was very, very, very impressive. It wasn't like an empty pressure or an empty sack here. It was a lot of defeated blocks out there. But I'm not sure if I put him in the top 50. I'm okay with him being top 50, but this guy, I think of all of them I have on the list, may be the one who hurts me the most because he can easily take another giant step forward and become a top 25 player in the NFL. And I wouldn't, if you told me that, a year from now, if somebody came back from the future, or a future Lucas came back, and it was like, hey, Nick Bosa is a top 25 player in the NFL, and he had 15 sacks and like 85 pressures. I'm like, all right, not shocking. He's that type of player. But I think to put him in the top 50 immediately, I, I'm not sold on him completely yet. I saw his dominance last year, and I believe he can be a special player in the NFL. I believe he probably will be a top 25 player in the NFL at one point in his career. I don't know if I'm pretty, pretty ready to put him in the top 50 yet over guys like Simmons and Harris Jr. and Rodgers, who I see mainly Harris Jr. and Simmons, who have seen a little more dominance. Simmons, I can, I can give you that where he's had the one-year dominance. But Bosa, I'm not sold on him completely yet. And again, wouldn't be shocked if he dominated next year and became even better. It's just me, though. Next guy we got here is another 49er, Richard Sherman. Uh, he was higher up on PFF's list. I think he's one of the, he's like the second best, third best corner behind Stephon Gilmore. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, look at the article, but PFF is a great article by Sam Monson. But Richard Sherman was pretty high up there uh, by PFF. And I found myself being a very, very, very staunch defender of Richard Sherman in the Super Bowl game. I think he played a really, really, really quality game. I have a buddy who's a 49ers fan who thought, oh, he played terrible. But I feel like he played a really quality game. And there's that one play I see Tyreek Hill burns up the seam or whoever it was. Not Tyreek Hill, uh, Sammy Watkins. Burns him up the right side of the field. And everybody goes, oh, Richard Sherman screwed it up for the 49ers. He played terrible th- today. I'm like, did you see every other snap? He They didn't even throw to him because he played such good coverage. He played really, 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 really good coverage for most of that game. And that one play is what everybody rem- remembers. It's always the one play where you screw up or you do great and everybody remembers it. You could have, you could go like for QB, for example, you could go 18 for 38 and a terrible game, but your team's down by three and you throw the game and touchdown and everybody goes, what a great game by whoever it was. Because you, because you made the highlight reel play. You made the play that everybody stands out in their brain. It goes, oh, I remember that play by whoever. He did a great job. He had, almost had a good game then. When you look at the stats and you look at the game film, he goes, "Oh, he actually didn't have a good game. That was just a, that was a great play, great play by him there, but everything else wasn't that good." And it's the same thing with Richard Sherman here, except the opposite. Richard Sherman had an incredible game, an outstanding game in every aspect, except for that one play. That one play where he beat up the seam. And 
basically, he didn't lose the game for the 49ers there, but he just gave up a score. And everybody goes, oh, that's it. And I, I know it gave it was a big play for the Chiefs, but that's not the whole game. It's not the whole game. That being said, I don't think Richard Sherman has a lot of juice in him left. I still think he's a top 50 player, no doubt in my mind. Uh, but putting him like in a top 20 situation, top 25 situation, is a little bit of a stretch for me. I'd put him in like a top 40, so like in a 30 to 40 range or 25 to 40 range. I don't think he's Richard Sherman of old where he's that cover three, lock down that side of the field corner where it's like good luck beating him, good luck throwing on him because he will lock down that side of the field. Like he did in Seattle for so many years with the cover three Legion of Boom defense. But I still think he's a quality cornerback. I don't think he's that quality anymore where he's a number one acute CB in the NFL. But still quality cornerback. And the last one I got is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is an interesting case here. I am not a huge fan of Lamar. I think he's a he's a he's an incredible athlete. No doubt in my mind, incredible athlete. But when you look at the system that's built around him in Baltimore, that John Harbaugh and I can't remember the offensive coordinator in uh, Baltimore right now, blanking on his name, but they built that offense for Lamar. It wasn't like where a uh, new rookie QB lands in wherever, whatever said you want to name, whatever team you want to name, and the team goes, all right, here's our playbook. Here's uh, He talks to his, QB, his uh, head coach and his offensive coordinator. They go to him, here's our uh, playbook. Uh, take a piece and learn it. See how you feel about it. Uh, just get your, feel your best learning about it. It wasn't like where the head coach and offensive coordinator have their own playbook and they just give it to them. It was, we got a guy who was a special athlete and who is freaky fast. We're going to build the playbook around him. We're going to get some interesting play concepts. We're going to get some interesting formations. We're going to uh, do a lot of play action with him. We're going to get a lot of play design with him going here get very creative with him. That's what they did for Lamar. Lamar is an incredible athlete, an incredible player, but I think if you take him out of that situation and put him in one where it's not like that, where it's a coach who has says, I have my system and you're going to learn my system, we're going to use my system, it's going to be a completely different situation for Lamar Jackson. He has a system built around him that benefits him so much and credit for him, good for him. I'm glad for Lamar. I want him to have that system around him. I believe all QBs should have that system around them. I believe it's dumb to be a head coach in the NFL and go, this is my system, we're going to run my system. Unless you're Bill Belichick defense or unless you're some generational head coaching mind like an Andy Reid, an offense, or whoever you want to name. Unless you're that type of guy, you got to change your system for who your QB is. If it's whoever, you name your guy, you name your your mid-level QB, you got to change your system for him. And I don't think Lamar is necessarily a mid-level QB, but he's not your top 10 guy to me. His arm, obviously, is better from the freshman year to the sophomore year. His arm's improved in accuracy-wise, and it looked really good. But I don't think he's that high-level guy just yet. And I think he could be another guy where he sets up the game more. But... His situation around him is so, 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 so beneficial. It's almost like an RG3 where they had the read option and the NFL basically couldn't figure it out for a while and then it came back down to earth like, oh, we get it. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Lamar because I think the uh, offense in Baltimore is more nuanced than it was in Washington with RG3. But his situation around him is so beneficial and so 
helpful to his development and his growth and his game style and gameplay that it makes him look so, so, so good. But if you take him out of the situation and put him in like a Texas uh, situation, Houston, Houston Texans, or put him in Chicago, Matt Nagy, I think, is a good uh, head coach, but put him in any of these other situations where you feel like maybe in the best situation in the world for a QB or an offensive player, and I think you could see something a lot different than what you see in Baltimore. Granted, I think Lamar still get QB. I still think he'd be in top 50, but not as high as is maybe he should be on there. I think he should be a fringe top 50 player. Next up, we're going to get into my top 10 players under 25. Now, just for explanation's sake here, we got uh, 10 players all under 25. 25 as of the start of the NFL regular season. All these guys are under 25 here. Uh, one guy who made the actual PFF top 20 list, not top 20 list, excuse me, top 50 list is Kenny Clark. He was like number 41, number 42. He's in that uh, low 40s range. And he is one of the more special players in the NFL for a multiple to multitude of different reasons here. He is Marcel Darius-esque. And the fact he's better than Marshall Darius, in my opinion. But Marshall Darius entered the NFL, and he was a guy who was ahead of his time. He was a guy who could stop the run, like nose tackles, in that time period are were meant to do and were trained to do. When it was just uh, play the gaps, play the run, uh, absorb blockers, absorb double teams, and that was the main thing they wanted to do nose tackles. But Marshall Darius was like. I can uh, get to the QB. I can uh, uh, I can work in third downs. I can rush a passer. I can be the talented guy on third downs that you need from the interior who can get to the QB. And he was that guy. He wasn't always that guy for all his career. But I think Kenny Clark's a bit better than him. But Kenny Clark is very similar to him in the fact that you can line up as a nose tackle on literally first, second, and third downs and ask him to stop the run and whatever down you want him to do, and get to the QB on whatever down you want him to. He's not just a guy where he's going to just hold the gaps, uh, hold the linemen, and just uh, stand pat. He's a guy who can actually rush the QB and who has legitimate pass rushing moves and is very agile for guys his, his, his size. And coming into NFL, he was never that. He was not a guy who was like Marcel Darius-esque or, Mar- or compared to Marcel Darius. He was never that guy who was like, oh, man. This guy's got potential to be a, a great pass rusher and a great run stopper. He was always that run stopper guy. And credit to Kenny Clark here. Credit to Kenny Clark for developing his pass rushing game and working on his craft and making himself even more valuable. Because as a nose tackle, you're not that valuable. As a run stopper nose tackle, you're not that valuable. You're not going to be a key piece to a defense. But at least being a quality pass rusher, you're stepping your game up even more, and your value up even more. And I think he's one of the best defensive tackles behind, like, your Fletcher Coxes of the world, your Aaron Donald and Chris Jones, especially Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is just a freak of nature. Nobody can touch Aaron Donald right now. But being behind those guys is not an insult. And being uh, 25 and younger behind those guys, definitely not an insult. To be in the conversation with them is such a huge compliment to Kenny Clark. He's, he is one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL, not only because he's a Green Bay Packer, but because he's a really quality player. Number nine, we got Miles Garrett. 
Uh, Miles Garrett had an interesting uh, regular season in how it ended, obviously. We don't know. I assume you, most people listening to this would know. Mason Rudolph and, and Miles Garrett got into a little altercation, which resulted in Miles Garrett hitting Mason Rudolph with uh, Mason Rudolph's own helmet over the head. Resulted in Miles Garrett being suspended. But previous to that, Mr. Miles Garrett was showing himself and showing the NFL why he can be a dominant pass rushing force and what everybody thought he could be. He arguably was one of the best pass rushers in the NFL last year. He beat everybody every which way. And it wasn't just, oh, he's got nice pass rushing moves. It was, he's a freak of nature athletically. And he is bigger than you, stronger than you, quicker than you, more powerful than you. And he's going to beat you with that. And if he can't, he's going to beat you with a little bit of pass rushing moves. He's going to chop block you, not chop block you, chop move you. He's going to rip move you. Any move he wants to do, he's going to do it to you. And you can't stop it no matter who you are. Obviously, you guys can stop it. I'm not being literal here, but it's so hard to stop a guy like Miles Garrett. Because he's so big, so freaky athletic. He's so skilled, too. He's so nuanced with his uh, passage moves and his hands. It's so hard to stop him that when you're facing him, it's a nightmare. And Austin Miles Garrett hurt himself last year that uh, suspension in the of the season. But coming to this year, people may have forgot, oh, this man dominated for the first half of the season. This man destroyed the first eight or so games he played and he got suspended. People are going to forget, oh, I forgot how dominant he was. And people are going to be shocked. I mean, not shocked, but we go, oh yeah, Miles Garrett's the real deal. He is one of the best Ed Rushers in the NFL. Next up, we got eight. We got Chris Godwin. Uh, Chris Godwin. I was surprised to even know that he was below twenty-five. But he is. He had a breakout season last year. He was kind of not buried per se, but he was just not thought of as much on that Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. And I believe they had Deshaun Jackson for a while, and that's probably got stuck behind him. And then Mike Evans obviously is still there, and they lost Brashad Perryman this past season, but. This is when Chris Godwin got featured the most in his probably entire NFL career. And he showed how dominant he can be. And for me, he might be a little bit little bit better than Mike Evans, honestly. And Mike Evans was that guy on that Buccaneers offense for a long time with Jameis Winston. He was that downfield threat who could literally throw anything to him. And he's so physically gifted and so tall and has such a good vertical that he can literally grab anything out of the sky because he's Mike Evans. But you get Chris Godwin, who's basically a do-it-all kind of guy almost. He can uh, win underneath in the slot. He can win outside with uh, understands leverage. He can win intermediately. He can win deep. Uh, he can succeed with uh, rack catches and win after the catch. He is such a talented player. But again, he's a guy who just gets underrated by the rest of the NFL and the rest of the NFL scope and the rest of the NFL media because Mike Evans is such a flashier player and he's such a more recognized name because coming out of college, Mike Evans was the guy. He was a guy you wanted on your team, and the Buccaneers got him. And he was such a flashy name, and he's a really good player, don't get me wrong. I think Mike Evans might be a little underrated too. But Chris Godwin could be, and I think is, the best receiver on this Buccaneers roster alongside guys like Mike Evans, uh, Tyler Johnson, 
Brashad Perryman, who they lost. But these guys on this uh, Buccaneers roster are good players. Gronk's on this roster. And Chris Godwin might be the best of them uh, for offensive weapons terms. He is legit that good of a player. And this Buccaneers team is going to have uh, one of the best times they can have. He's going to have a lot of fun. Because they get guys like I say, Chris Godwin, Ty Johnson in the slot, Mike Evans outside as well, O.J. Howard, Gronk's back now. And they added Tom Brady. They add Tom Brady to this roster. They're going to just dominate and take over. The, they might take over the NFC South. It's going to be hard with the Saints there and the Falcons there, but I think they can do it. Next up is Lamar Jackson. Uh, Lamar is... We've talked about Lamar a little bit already. We're going we're gonna to spend too much time on Lamar Jackson because we've already discussed a little more of my feelings on him, but I have him at 7th uh, behind one other QB. But again, I love Lamar. I think he's an incredible athlete, incredible player. But we just have him so low because the situation around him and his accuracy concerns are still scare me. I believe uh, this may have been uh, not a fluke year. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I think it may have been better than what we should expect for the rest of Lamar's uh, upcoming season. Now, obviously, I could be wrong on this one because he crushed it last year. But I'm just not a fan of the accuracy. I think the system caters to him a lot and probably more than any NFL QB right now. But I think 7 is a fair place to have Lamar. Number 6, we got Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson just above Lamar Jackson. Uh, Deshaun Watson reminds me a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, Russell Wilson. The fact that they are playmakers on the NFL field, it doesn't matter what's going on around them. They can just create with their legs, create with their arms, and just get just weirded on the field and just look so good doing it. Um, and the fact, and in a negative way, that both of them are playmakers, they both like to hold on to the ball a lot. They will not get rid of the ball no matter what's going on around them. Even if it meant it was smarter to throw away the ball because it's like first and 10, they'll likely hold on to the ball and either get sacked, get hit while throwing the ball, or make an incredible play with the ball that, sh- that barely anybody can make besides those two guys. He's got a great arm. He's got great accuracy. This last season, he's really, really, really improved his game, I think. His injury wasn't there. His accuracy looked better. His arm shake looked better. Everything just looked like it was coming together. And he had a great season last year. And I think Watson, not, oh my god, I don't want to get in a Texan situation. I almost did there, but what's his name leaving them? And just this whole massive Bill Bryan has uh, started with the Texans. I feel bad for Deshaun here, but I think I think he can pull it through. I think it's different from Lamar in the fact that he had a situation around him that's catering to him a lot and he got offensive weapons around him that'll help him. And this team is just building around him really well. Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, is like, they're just crippling him almost. They're taking away everything that's good for him and giving him something worse almost. They got rid of a lot of draft picks just to get one left tackle and uh, Kenny Stills, who's Kenny Stills, and he's okay receivers, nothing special. And they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins for not even a first-round pick. They lost all their first-rounders to get a, two players and... Couldn't even get one. Couldn't even get a first rounder back for arguably the best receiver in the NFL. I really don't understand what's going on in Texas. 
uh, in Houston, for that matter, with Deshaun Watson and the Texans. But, man, I feel bad for Deshaun Watson. But I, I believe in him as a player and as a quality player in the NFL. Next up, we got Jamal Adams. Uh, I wrote an article recently that came out for Fansided, which I'll link in my podcast uh, information and podcast episode if I remember this. But I wrote an article about Jamal Adams and another player who's going to be on this list and why they are the future of the NFL defenses and why they are the basically a positionist player. In the NBA, I referred to this uh, in my article, the NBA has a lot of positionless basketball going on right now. Point guards are basically now, could be anybody. It could be a 6'10 guy dribbling the court and initiating the offense. Or it can be like a 6'4 guy, which is the traditional guy. And your bigs now are shooting threes instead of playing interior deep, or no, playing interior offense and posting up. Everything's different. Nothing is a position. Nothing is a specified role for each guy. And the same thing that can go with Jamal Adams. He can play literally anywhere you want him to play on the field. He can play in a deep free safety kind of coverage role for the Jets. He can play almost like as a linebacker. He can play the most impressive thing I've seen from Jamal Adams last year was he basically played edge rusher for the Jets. He played he's literally lined up as edge rusher. It wasn't like he was playing safety and came down as a blitzing formation or as an extra guy or as like a linebacker where he just kind of blitzed from the interior. He literally lined up outside as an edge rusher against offensive tackles, mind you. Not against tight ends. It was against legit offensive tackles as well as tight ends. And he was able to beat them. According to uh, Pro Football Reference, he had the most pass pressures on the Jets just ahead of Jordan Jenkins, who's an edge rusher, defensive lineman for the Jets. Let that sink in for a second. Like a 6'1", 215, 220-pound uh, person playing who plays safety for most of his career and for most of the snaps on the field, was able to beat offensive tackles are on the edge. NFL offensive tackles, mind you. Having a guy like that in your defense is so valuable to defenses these days. A guy who can literally do everything. He's not like Harrison Smith where he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, but he's not. you don't want him in deep coverage kind of aspects. You want him kind of playing a linebacker role, playing strong safety, helping him run support, playing slot corner almost. Or he's not like Earl Thomas where he's a deep safety only and he's basically locking down that. Both those guys are great in their own rights. But Jamal Adams is a guy where... No matter where you want on the field, he can dominate. Christian McCaffrey is up next at number four. And if you know me, I'm a very big in analytics, so it might be surprising to you. But this list is more of a... Just who is the best? Who is the best? Position value doesn't matter here. Christian McCaffrey is the most valuable running back in the NFL. And value and running back, obviously, is an oxymoron. But running backs are going to be this in the NFL from now on. It's going to be guys who can win in space, who can contribute in the passing game, who can break tackles, who can take it to the house. And basically, they're not even running backs anymore. They're not traditional guys who are going to be uh, guys who can pound up the middle. There's not them anymore. That's not what they're going to do. It's going to be guys who can win in space, as Chris McCaffrey does. He is an elite-level receiving running back. Obviously, it's not saying a lot because... I say you'd rather throw to receivers or tight ends down the field more, but for what he is, he is so, 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 so elite. 
He can juke you out of your shoes. He can spin move. Uh, he can uh, do anything he wants. And it's so hard to tackle him because he's so skilled and so fast and so athletic that he's just probably the best running back in the NFL right now. He's such an elite level player. And if I'm going to take a running back on my team, if I'm forced to take one early on in any sort of thing or just in general, he'd be my number one guy because of what he can do with the ball in his hands and what he can do without the ball in his hands as a receiver. Granted, obviously, he's a running back, and I wouldn't want to do that, but he's a guy who I'm going, okay, I see what people like, like, like that guy, this guy a lot. I see why people are in love with him because of his receiving aspects. Next up, guys, Derwin James. This is the other guy I wrote the article about. It was uh, how Derwin James and Jamal Adams are the future of the NFL. And Derwin James is very similar to Jamal Adams in the fact that he can play any position on the defense. Obviously not defensive interior or defensive tackle or defensive end. But he can play an edge rusher. He can play like a stand-up outside 3-4 edge rusher essentially and beat guys to the outside with ease. And one thing I noticed that uh, I believe Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator for the Chargers, did with uh, Derwin a lot was he had him like in he had him different roles depending on who they were facing. I know that makes a lot of sense from you want to put your guys different roles and put them in better situations depending on who you're facing, but it wasn't like he was having Derwin in, okay, we're going to play a cover two defense here. We're going to have Derwin be a free safety out there. Or it's like a cover one. We're going to have, oh, we're going to have Derwin roaming, roaming the field back there and be a playmaker, which they did do. But he played pretty much everywhere on the field. He played outside cornerback. He played slot cornerback. He played linebacker. He played edge rusher. He played free safety. He played strong safety. And it was just a myriad of different roles. And Derwin excelled at it so well that you had to put him in the top five. A lot of people are like, or a lot of NFL teams want to find that guy on offense who can be a mismatch and be like a weapon almost. Like your Tyree Kills, Elvin Kamara, uh, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, George Kittle, guys who can line up anywhere in the field and it's going to be a nightmare for a defense to find out or to find a guy who can match up with him. Derwin James, on the other hand, is one of those guys on defense who can do that. He can line, You can line up anywhere in the field against whoever you want to, put him anywhere in the field against wherever you want to, whatever role you want him to do, and he can do that for you. He can take away guys like Kittle, McCaffrey, and all these other guys because he is so talented. He can stay with them and match up with them because he's got so many different areas of his game that's really good that it's hard for teams to mismatch against him. Like, there's linebackers out there who are extremely talented, like your Keekleys of the world and your Wagons of the world who are really good linebackers and really good coverage. But at some point, a receiver's just going to be faster than them and they can't do anything about it because that's just not their skill set. Or there's corners out there, like slot corners and cornerbacks and safeties in the other world who are fast enough to match up with a lot of receivers, but when a big tight end comes in there, who's fast, like a George Kittle, or Katarzyna Kelsey, who's fast, but is also big and strong and can box you out, they struggle. But guys like Derwin James can match up with those big tight ends because they got the strength and the size and vertical ability and coverage ability to match up with them, but they can also match up with the receivers too who are fast. That's why I love Derwin James. Uh, the next two are just obvious ones here. Uh, Quentin Nelson, number two. I mean, who else would be here besides you-know-who? 
coming up next, obviously. Uh, he's a freak of nature. Just a physical freak of nature. I don't know how defensive linemen are able to stand up to him. Because he is so strong and so powerful. I, I, I'm at a loss for words after defensive linemen anyways. He is a big dude. And there's not a lot to say with them that hasn't been said already about Quentin Nelson. He's just so physically gifted. From pass blocking, he needs a little work on, but his run blocking ability is just, he's a human bulldozer. He's so strong and big, but he's also very fast and quick and agile that it's so hard to get out of his way. If you're in his way, you're going to get run over. It's like Penesul, almost. I don't know comparing him to Penesul, but Penesul is similar to uh, Quentin Nelson, the fact that if they get out running, it's hard to get out of the way. He's just going to run you over. I've seen, I've seen very few linebackers or defensive linemen who are able to stand up to Quentin Nelson and not be moved with their spot because of how big he is. Alexander Johnson is one of them. But Alexander Johnson is another freak of nature where he's just a hulking dude who can send the most guys. And Quentin Nelson almost knocked Alexander Johnson to the ground. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. He is just one of the best offensive linemen overall in the NFL. And the Colts to have him, along with that myriad of other talented offensive linemen they have there, with Anthony Costanza, with Ryan Kelly, all these guys, it just, they are so lucky. Uh, number one, I mean, who else would there be there besides Patrick Mahomes? He is the best QB uh, in the NFL right now. He has the strongest arm. He has a cannon for an arm. He is extremely accurate. He can create uh, out of the pocket and can win in the pocket. He can throw darts down the field. He can win underneath. He takes what's given to him. So it's not like he's waiting to make a play down the field and it never arrives. He'll take that like five yard uh, underneath route. He'll take that drag route over the middle. He'll do something with that slant route. He will, but then, if you do give him that down the field, good luck. Because he's going to hit it more times than not. And he's going to hit it usually in stride. He's so, got such a cannon for an arm, but he can contort his body different ways that anything in the field is available at the same time. It's like Aaron Rodgers and Prime Brett Favre where these guys can just contort their body in any which way they want to because he had the arm strength and athleticism to do it. He's like that. It's so hard to stop a guy like him. And for the Chiefs to have him on their team for as young as he is and how good as he is right now, good luck to any any, any NFL team. Not just the AFC West team, but any NFC team who's facing him, good luck. The, AFC, the one AFC West team who I'm hopeful for is the Broncos, but even then, Drew Locke is going to be that guy He's going to be legit good, and I don't know if he is. Thank you for tuning into the podcast, guys. I always appreciate everybody tuning into this. Um, go read my article over at Fansided. Talk about Derwin James. I posted another one with the CLC Hawks uh, in their weird, weird, weird offseason. But uh, go follow me at LucasShu2, L-U-C-A-S-S-C-H-U-H, and the number two on Twitter. And then go follow the podcast at AirItOutPod. Also on Twitter, thank you for tuning in, guys. See you later.